I'm Alex Mito. And I'm James Milley. And this is The Artist Business Plan, your favorite weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs, hosted by Superfine Art Fair. What's going on, business artists? You are listening to The Artist Business Plan, which means that you are certifiably awesome. If you don't know me by now, my name is Alex Mito. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Superfine Art Fair. We're the most widespread art fair for artists in the United States, and we're also one of the top resources for all things art, artist, and of course, marketing of your art. I'm also one of our two hosts here on the Artist Business Plan, along with James Milley, and we now reach over 7,000 monthly listeners in over 100 countries around the globe, and that grows every single week because of listeners like you. Today, we've got Terry Froman here with us on the mic. Terry is going to share an awesome masterclass with you today on how to become your CEO self. We could all use that. So I don't know about you, but I'm really excited to hear what Terry has to say. First, I've got an amazing offer here just for you ABP listeners. Artists, have you ever felt anxious, alone, and not sure about the next move for your career? Good news, those days are over. For nearly six years, we've taken thousands of hours to develop the best art fair model for artists out there. Superfine art fairs have helped hundreds of artists just like you take control of their careers, build relationships with collectors, and create the art income and freedom that you deserve. For a limited time, we are offering you the chance to not only get a great discount on your booth, but also appear on this very podcast as a special guest reaching thousands of artists, art influencers, collectors, and arts professionals every day. To find out how you can take advantage of this incredible opportunity, just visit www.superfine.world offer to learn more. We can't wait to welcome you to the Superfine community and start helping you sell more art today. All right, so we are here back with Terry Froman, and we're ready to change the way that you think about your art career. Terry Froman is an artist and business coach, aka Art Mom, and the founder of Handmade in Brooklyn, a women's collective for creative freelancers and makers in Brooklyn. She has an extensive background as an artist, maker, and a 12-year career as an art educator and career therapist. Welcome to the Artist Business Plan, Terry. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's our pleasure. Now, before we dive into the questions, I want to ask you something. We ask all of our guests that helps our listeners get to know the real Terry. What is the earliest memory that you have of art? Oh, wow. I have a memory of asking my dad for the first time, I must have been like 12, asking him to go to my first nude drawing class in Midtown Manhattan. I had already gotten permission. I, To be honest, I don't even remember how I got permission. It was clearly not a class for kids. And I remember my mom being all for it, super down. And my dad being like, not understanding and not didn't really get that it was, you know, a nude drawing class that it wasn't some kind of like a pornographic class of any kind. So yeah, I mean, and I, I ended up going. So it was a great experience. Wow. And how old were you? Well, I was probably like 12, like the, the professor at the artist student league in, in Midtown, they were proud that I was interested and that I wanted to draw from life and made an exception. I love it. A nude drawing class for kids at 12. That's <laughs> progressive. And that's actually really cool, though. I mean, we could go into detail very, about all that. Very but, New York. I feel like yeah. I'm a New Yorker. So it's very much like, you know, anything kind of goes. Oh, yeah. So what inspired you to start Handmade in Brooklyn? After 12 years of being an art educator, I had just gotten out of that current teaching job. 
I, I knew that I wasn't planning on going back to teaching anytime soon or going into school. So I hopped right back into my art making practice, got a private studio at a screen printing studio in the Gowanus in Brooklyn. And uh, I was put in a position where I had to, you know, I was starting to sell my artwork and I wasn't really sure what the hell I was doing. I did a lot of legwork, researching pop-ups, networking, and I started to gather women who were in similar positions as myself. So we started meeting in my studio monthly and I was facilitating all of these meetings, but they were pretty relaxed. It was a lot of just sharing information just to get by. And eventually I started bringing in guest speakers and experts here we are years later, I founded a handmade in Brooklyn in 2015 and we're minority and women owned certified by the state. And, you know, the collective is, is stronger than ever. We really support each other navigating, you know, different business decisions, different resources, where to sell, who to sell to. And, and it's a lot of insider information, but it's a hyper local support system for makers that you know, makers like myself at the time who had no idea how to run a business and how to collect payments and that sort of thing. So I love that because I feel like that's something that's very needed in kind of the maker artist artisan world is just this kind of this business training of just how to cut through the red tape and actually learn how to do it. And, you know, someone who can take people by the hand or an organization and take people by the hand like Handmade in Brooklyn that helps you figure out how to sell your sell your stuff, I think is so, so important. So, you know, I think it's one of those things where I was either going to find it or I was going to create it myself. Yeah. And I think that's often the genesis of really great ideas. And you just don't see it in the world because if it were there, you would you would use it, you would buy it, you would be a part of it. And then you're like, okay, it's not there. So I need to start it. Yep. And that resonates with me because that's sort of how we started Superfine Art Fair was, you know, we saw art fairs and we saw what they were doing right and wrong and what we were looking for wasn't there. And so we're like, okay, we'll build it. And so I think it's such a great place to start from, basically. Absolutely. Cool. So what are some of the ways that members of Handmade in Brooklyn empower each other and help each other's practices evolve? Well, you know, I like to make sure when I'm onboarding our members that they understand we're looking for a year-long commitment. We're looking for people who are interested in being part of a movement or part of a community, somebody who is, you know, interested in, in being very engaged with other people. And so there's a level of, you know, of course, social networking that's involved. But a couple of really specific things that we do is we do Wednesday check-ins in a private DM group and we do, you know, we celebrate each other pretty, pretty heavily. We have also accountability partners within the collective and they're matched by industry. So these things are kind of set up in the beginning when our members hop on board to the collective so that, you know, they have go-to people, but they also have us when we meet monthly. And, you know, this year has been very different because our mission is to actually be the in-person collective that does not really exist. There are so many virtual memberships. When I had first started Hammond in Brooklyn, I made a commitment. We were going to meet in person every single month. You know, this is the first year that that hasn't happened, but we have three more meetups. And so we are starting to do them in person. Obviously, that's where the biggest impact comes. 
Yeah, I love seeing things start to shift back in person. And I and I totally feel that, you know, we've been about a year and three months without a physical fair. We're relaunching in August in Seattle, and then New York in September, October in DC. And it is one of the things we hear most from artists is like, I want to get out there and connect with people in person, with other artists, with collectors. And like, yeah, like digital marketing is amazing. And that's what we talk about a lot on this podcast. But also, yeah, being able to get out there face to face is so important. So I'm glad that you guys are moving in that direction. Yeah, I mean, we did cancel our our annual Creatives and Business Summit. And that's where we raised the most money to, you know, keep the collective going and and supporting our events. You know, we decided not to do it virtually. It just was not within our our mission. So we said, you know what? I mean, a lot of other people, you know, kind of push forward with some of their virtual summits and it just didn't feel organic for what we're about. So, you know, we'll be doing it next year, but we thought everything kind of through and through to see what matched and what didn't. And that's okay. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I think that's something, you know, a, a kind of a lesson we can pull out of that is, you know, just because everyone's doing it doesn't mean you have to. And I think we all got like Zoom fatigue over the past year and a half. I'm at the point where like I get these invites for like a Zoom cocktail hour and I'm like, please not again. It, there's been some great things like, you know, it's ironic we're discussing this on a podcast because I love the podcasting medium and the way I can connect with people. And I see something that goes far beyond the COVID times, but conferences on Zoom, like, I'm sorry. I don't personally want to drink with my computer, but I need to eat the phone, you know? I'm, I'm with you there. So I'm looking forward to, to the more in-person stuff that comes around. So we were talking a little bit earlier on this question about, you know, having accountability partners, like people who make you, you know, kind of hold you to what you said you were going to do with your practice and with your business. I think that's a really cool concept, you know, that I think we could all benefit from. So I think it's amazing that you offer it. And I think that's also something that, you know, for the artists, artisans, creative that are in your area that can do this in New York, I'm definitely, we'll talk about how to reach out to Handmade in Brooklyn at the end of the podcast. But in general, like just to build that into your you know, if you're somewhere else, like say you're hearing this in Australia or Singapore, and maybe it's not available to you to build that into your repertoire to be able to, you know, find I love the idea of an accountability partner. And I may have just pulled one thing out of what you said, but I love that concept. So It's like, you know, in the educational, you know, my, my backgrounds in education. And so I, I definitely filter through a lot of things that I learned over the 12 years that I didn't even know would come in handy with adults, right? I was teaching high schoolers for 12 years and it a lot, a lot translated when I, you know, when I least expected it. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing sometimes like the things we can pull from previous careers and lives into what we do now. And I, I mean, that's something like we hear from artists all the time who used to be anything from accountants to architects to advertising designers, like how that helped them. So everything is training for the next thing in your life, and even whether you know it or not. So I think that's really cool that you brought those lessons in from something you did before into what you do now, For sure, which is a really good saying, because I want to ask you, you know, you describe yourself as an art mom. <laughs> what does an art mom do? It was given to me. It was not a self-proclaimed, but now I totally am obsessed. I'm going to kick the butts of my little art babies and I'm going to be there unconditionally for my clients. And so when I was given this kind of funny name, it was more so like, you're our art mom. And it was for Handmade in Brooklyn. Like I was sort of the mama hen and you know, people were really looking to me for advice and looking to me for inspiration. And I had not been doing one-on-one coaching and had been kind of resistant to it 
until about a year and a half ago. I had mentored many first-year teachers and kind of gotten those babies, you know, adapted to the teaching world. But I loved the social aspect of, you know, I was basically coaching 20 women. I loved that group coaching atmosphere, but I think that I wanted to work, you know, on a deeper aspect with people and, and the art mom kind of name sort of stuck where I'd kind of be on their ass a little bit. I definitely was somebody who was kind of lurking and kind of always, you know, so I, I, I think a part of uh, what I was doing already, I guess my, my maternal personality really took a spot in the way that I was coaching. You know, I'd be there for my clients and kind of whispering in their ear when they'd be doing a flash sale or, you know, just a very, very hands-on intimate relationships that I developed with my clients really seemed kind of like mother-child and very, you know, well, sometimes I'm going to tell you what it is and you've hired me because you know that that is my style. It's it's very no BS. I love it. It's like tough love. Yeah, it's great. tough love. Yeah, we all need a little tough yeah. love. Yeah. So if you could give me like five steps you take to help build up thriving artists into being their CEO self, what would those five steps be? In my signature program, BYOB, I help artists really create the structure based on what they're already doing, but how to monetize their art making practice. And so I, I definitely jotted down the five things that I, I would say people in the art industry really need to commit to. The first thing is researching your specific uh, niche. And so if you are a mixed media painter or you are a mixed media collage artist, you really need to research other artists within that realm and do some studying. That's the first thing. And I, I don't call it like a competitor comparison. I like to know who's at the party. I think it's important to uh, create a plan. And that doesn't necessarily have to be this like grand gig giganto plan that you say something and you've got to make it happen because your plan is going to shift over time just as we do as humans. But a plan could be I have a client right now who is a, literally steps away from leaving her nine to five. She's ready to take the full leap. She feels very secure and trusts her art, trusts her business. But her plan is to quit in June and she's hiring me full time to help her transition into the freelance lifestyle. To me, that is a really smart plan. You know, you're you're hopping from one thing that's highly structured into another thing where you have that that support system behind you. I would say the third thing are creating short-term goals and maybe some long-term. And I would say since the art industry moves so quickly, I actually don't push my clients past five years. We do a one-year goal, a three-year, and a five-year. And sometimes their five-year goal is like something they're already doing. You know, and it's, it depends on, on how fast you're working and how committed you are to what to what's going on. My fourth thing that I would say into stepping into your CEO self would be the seller's environment. Where do you want to start selling? And where you sell is where your people are. And, and your people meaning the people you want to sell to. Where are they hanging out? So let's just say we're in a mansion and... There are all these different rooms and you have one room where there's curators, one room where there's home designers, one room where there's 
other artists you can mingle with. But you need to find which room is going to be your seller's room. Which room are you going to be able to sell to most? Now, all of those rooms are totally important, but it's really figuring that out. And it's definitely uh, some psychology is involved in selling and uh, networking and really g- taking a risk and, and being at that party alone. The fifth thing I would say is community and networking. I feel like if you don't have you know, your, your posse, if you don't have your other bodyguards around you and you have no one to turn to at any given point, that's where people get stagnant. That's where they get in their own heads. And it can be hard to see different perspectives. And when you are in business, you have to be able to spin your head around a little bit and say, okay, this is how this client could be feeling right now. Or this is how this customer could be feeling. How do I sell to them? Or how do I you know, collaborate with them? That's going to be beneficial for both of us. I love it. Terry, that was amazing. I'm just going to quickly sum that up for everyone listening out here. These are your five steps to be your CEO self. And I think this is solid gold value here. So one, research your specific niche. So important. It's not competitive comparison. It's just figuring out who's at the party, who's in the room. So vital. Number two, create a plan, but be flexible about it. Make sure you have, you know, what's what you need to actually enact that plan. Number three, create short-term and long-term goals, but there's really no need to go past five years. Just really, you know, focus on what you're going to achieve in that short and long-term period. And four, which I couldn't agree with more, find your seller's environment. Where are your people hanging out? And as an art fair owner, this is something that resonates, especially with me. And you know, when I've seen clients either fail or succeed in my own shows, it's really, does this environment work for them? And it doesn't work for everybody. So it may be a maker fair, it may be an art fair, it may be Instagram, it may be your studio, it just depends on you. Find your seller's environment, where are your people hanging out? Number five, get your community and networking solid, gather your posse. So you don't, you're not the only one out there, the lone wolf, just make sure you have that group of people behind you. I love this. And we are going to come right back. And Terry is going to tell you more about what you want to know about successfully selling yourself as an artist and much, much more. But first, a quick message from our sponsors. New York City, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and yes, Miami. These are just a few of the places where you and your art can meet your next collector when you take the next step and exhibit with us at Superfine Art Fairs. For nearly six years, we've taken thousands of hours to develop the best art fair model for artists out there. Superfine Fairs have helped hundreds of artists just like you take control of their careers, build relationships with collectors, and create the art income and freedom that you deserve. For a limited time, we're offering you the chance to not only get a great discount on your booth, but also appear on this very podcast as a special guest, reaching thousands of artists, art influencers, collectors, and arts professionals every day. To find out how you can take advantage of this incredible opportunity, just visit www.superfine.world offer to learn more. Don't miss the chance to be a part of the top business artist community in the world. And we are back here with Terry Froman. Terry, so you were an art educator for some time. What is one lesson that you wished you had learned when you were in art school? And how can an art coach help you develop a business in ways that maybe art school can't? You know, no shade to the universities. I went to school for like 10 years, right? And I went to some amazing art schools. But I will say that their approach to being an art major is still very archaic. 
they teach you more so how to be a disciplined artist in practice, but they don't address the real world situations when it comes to how to financially support yourself as a professional artist. I mean, had there been a class called professional artist, you know, or making money, I mean, I would have taken it. It it could have been that simple and it should be a, a requirement. But when I got my master's, I actually did my master's abroad with a really well-known institution, and I built a beautiful body of work. I learned a lot about professional artists and how they create series and what that meant and working much larger um, and really getting out of my comfort zone. You know, long days in a, in a beautiful studio in a church in Venice. I mean, it, it could not have been more of a dream seeing the masters, you know, and, and really and chasing the Biennale. And it was a wonderful three-year experience living in Italy. But I mean, I graduated and I went right back into teaching art. And that was my choice. However, I was also still creating artwork and I was organizing my own solo art shows. I I was someone who just did not, I like to take the reins, which is probably why I'm my my own boss at this point. I thought, well, why, why should I wait for opportunities? Why don't I just put on my own art shows? And I did, you know, but I, I, at the end of the day, I still had no idea how to market. I still had, it was still, it was just so DIY and people read that. You know, it's, it's, people can see it's something simple as, you know, labels for your artwork. People can see the, the level of professionalism. And it wasn't like I wasn't a professional person. I just did not have the skill or the strategy to uphold a very, very strong presence as, you know, an artist in business. And I, I, that's a huge missing component, a lot of trial and error. But I would say that if I had, found an art coach, you know, when I had left teaching about seven years ago now, I may be in a very different position. But my purpose in life has always been to empower my community. It's what I did as an educator. And so kind of going back to my roots and giving my experience and, and my expertise now to my clients so that I can at least help them navigate the artist and business world just a little bit better you know, it it means everything to me. My client, you know, sold out. She was supposed to be doing a 48-hour birthday art sale. Her series was called Van Gay. And um, she sold out, you know, in one day and just made an easy $2,000. Like I said, had I had someone, you know, giving me some pats on the back, I I think that it would have made a huge difference in my experience. Terry, you're speaking our language with what we do with Superfine and kind of some of the things we went through in trial and error. just talking about art labels, right? I mean, I've seen so many people spend all this time, money, energy, putting on shows, doing shows at galleries, getting booths and fairs, and then just messing up that one little piece, like writing on the wall with like a Sharpie instead of getting like a nicely printed label or like big, this is a big one for me, like not displaying prices at a place where art is for sale nobody likes it that way. And I I will go in front of the the fanciest gallery in the world. And I will tell them right now that nobody, not even billionaire collectors, like not knowing how much something costs. Right. When you see artists take advice from each other, I did a, a, a funny reel about it, like how I've hopped into some clubhouse discussions 
where there's there could be 50 artists and they're they literally were giving each other just so such distasteful advice that just either wasn't accurate or wasn't up to date or it, it, it can be painful because people are then walking down they're risking money they're risking time sometimes you know and, and wasting energy doing certain things when I look for a level of excellence when I am in the business realm I couldn't agree more and I, and I think again really no shade to the schools because you have these incredible experiences you can tap into I mean I want to be in a church in Venice <laughs> making art even though I'm not an artist at the moment so if anyone wants to sponsor me like you know send me an Instagram DM oh, yeah. and I'm happy to do it but there's so many cool opportunities but really the you know the business side from my understanding I did not go to art school but I've been working with artists for 7 years and that's my understanding is that it's missing heavily even today from the programs and that's where, you know, people like yourself, like us, like others in this industry are filling in those gaps and becoming thought leaders, which is so important. I mean, like you mentioning like, you know, bad advice going around and, and outdated advice. That's a very real problem. And if you look at like other worlds, like say the financial world, it's not like people don't make mistakes financially, but there's sort of accepted theory and kind of ways of doing things. And when you go against that, it's with full knowledge of the accepted theory. And you're like, you know, I'm going to experiment and try something new. But with art, it's sort of like a lot of people with a lot of opinions that aren't exactly right. I think it's cool to sort of like, you know, come to center and start sharing these ideas that are more practical for artists and getting them out there. And that's what we really love doing. So I'm glad that we're on the same yeah, page there. Absolutely. I want to kind of bring this around to art markets and pop-ups and also fairs. And what are two tips that an artist can apply to have a successful experience showcasing their art at a market fair or pop-up event? So I've actually been doing a ton of Instagram posts today. I actually just posted something on five of the most important things to ask before even, you know, applying and after applying to one of these events. I mean, there, it really is of the vendor or the seller or the artist to make sure that they get all the details first and they know what they're getting involved in before they go ahead and say it was a bad experience. You know, I've been on both sides. I've done every single type of market pop-up art show you could ever think of. I've had really terrible experiences and I've had really great ones. And then I've had ones that I, I took the risk on my own. But all in all, I've also been a pop-up organizer. People used to think that Handmade in Brooklyn was a pop-up event-based thing. And I had to keep telling them, like, we don't do pop-ups. That is not who we are. But I can. I can do a pop-up with my eyes closed. So every year we do a Valentine's Day pop-up, except for this year. And it again, it still goes in line with our mission of supporting local makers, but it's not something I wanted to be known for. So when I think about, you know, tips that I can give artists to have a successful experience, you know, I say, make sure to ask all the questions that you need to have. And a lot of people don't know what those questions are, but some simple as, you know, how big is my table? Do I have wall space? Is there Wi-Fi next to me? And I would say to bring whatever you need to be comfortable because these can be very long events. So, you know, having some water, having some snacks, that sort of thing. But I, I wouldn't even go there. I, you know, oftentimes have helped different makers get out of situations where they didn't know what they had signed or they went to uh, the pop-up and it had been, gotten canceled. I mean, there's many people who think that they can run events. 
and that it's easier than it really is. And that is just so far from the truth. Running a pop-up is very involved and um, you have to make sure that it's a collaborative experience. And so when I uh, have organized Handmade in Brooklyn pop-ups in the past, it is a, you know, we, in my contract is there's no divas allowed. (laughs) That's just what it says. It If you are a diva, do not bother, you know, even applying because things will happen always. Things will be tight. Things, you know, people may not show up. It might rain. I mean, there are so many factors, but this is always going to be the risk of event planning in general. And so all of that is in my contract when people sign on to, you know, be a part of an event. But it, but really, it, it's, you know, owning what I was talking about today on, on my personal coaching account is that you have to own your voice. It doesn't, you know, just because you ask questions and you want to get the details does not make you a pushy, annoying person. I go live every Wednesday to do free coaching for 30 minutes. And I've got a nice cohort of people that pop in with some things that they've been challenged by. One person said a gallery had not gotten back to them. They don't know what's going on, etc. He said, I don't want to give a bad impression. Well, why would you even think that you're in the wrong for asking? I would uh, really encourage people to own that they're in business and that they're operating with other businesses. All of that is very important. Yeah, I love that. And there's so much value to pull out of that answer. I mean, thinking of yourself as a business, you're interacting with other businesses. That is really the only way to think about it. And whether you are participating in an art fair like Superfine, where you commit financially, or whether you're with a gallery where maybe you didn't commit financially, you're still a business in business with another business. So I love just that mindset and thinking about it that way. If you're doing it with Superfine, right? Like we provide all these things that are mentioned, like furniture, Wi-Fi, all of that. Never be afraid to ask questions, but also read the materials the organizers give you because those often have the answers to your questions. And I know for a fact, like we put out a lot of information, you know, pre-fair. So it really does help to read it and we're not just like laying stuff on you just to like be annoying or obnoxious or like make you do homework. It just makes your experience better. And you've already committed the time, energy, money, resources to doing it. So that extra 30 minutes of reading is going to put you in a better position because you've you've cleared the bottom of that like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You figured out your food and shelter and Wi-Fi. And now you can focus on what can I do that's really cool? Like, can I do something neat? Can I, you know, can I create a new series of work? rather than stressing the details over and over and over again. I mean, definitely ask questions, but also like I just from an event organizer's perspective, definitely read what is given to you as well. But I love, I love all of that. And then I love also that you mentioned, look, these are events and they're so valuable for everyone, but they are events. They're temporary things. I mean, super fine. We are a pretty high production value event. It costs us, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars. Every time we put one on, we do six a year around the country. And, but even so, it's a temporary thing. We don't know the, what the weather is going to be like that day. We don't know if the AC is going to shut down. We'll do everything we can to avert, avert this. But ultimately, ro- being ready to roll at the punches is kind of a prerequisite to being a part of events. I mean, from like the Grammys on down, it's it's important to keep that mindset as you participate. And it's not, you know, I'm not warning you against it. I don't think you are either, Terry, but definitely just be aware of it. I'm confident in in my business and I'm confident in my own boundaries and I've dealt with some very difficult, you know, people who participated in events, you know, and I've had to sort of say, "Hey, this is a collaborative experience. I'm leading 
I'm, I'm the captain of the ship. But at the same time, you've got, you know, two other makers beside you that are listening to you complaining. You're also making us look bad. Also, I mean, I'm, I'm more known for my ability to be very straightforward. Once you, you get a reputation and people either love you for it or they, they don't want to work with you. And that, that's, to me, that weeds out the ones that are just not, not a good fit. It's not an admonishment, like join the events, join the fairs, join the markets, but go with it, your best foot forward, keep a smile on your face. You're going to have more results that way. You don't want to be that person who's complaining or upset or angry. You know, keep the smile on your face because that that big sale or that collector, stay positive. And then, you know, you can reflect on the experience after and, you know, approach it however you wish. But ultimately, like during that time, it's your time, you've already committed. So do your best to stay positive when you're there. This has been an amazing conversation. We are wrapping up right now, but let's bring it home for our listeners out there. What call to action do you want to share so that our listeners can take full advantage of Handmade in Brooklyn? Oh, baby. Well, Handmade in Brooklyn, is it runs on sort of a school year. So our membership starts September, closes June, and then we use the summer to recalibrate. In probably in August, we are going to be having a clothing swap in Brooklyn. And then next year, all of our events will be coming back. Our biggest one is the Creatives and Business Summit. It is a full day uh, summit worth of workshops and experts. And uh, we do a little speed dating with some of our lawyers and accountants. And it's a really big hands-on experience. I am also launching my signature group coaching intensive next week that is called BYOB, Be Your Own Boss. And that is for emerging and practicing artists or makers who are interested in building that foundation, really ready to figure out what their arts business looks like and curate their future. So that will be launching next week. And I will be ramping up all of the information and I'll be in my stories every day and sharing all the good stuff. But you can also tune in every single Wednesday live at noon if you're looking for some quick advice. I love it. Wednesdays at noon, free advice. You can't turn that down. Free advice is so helpful. To all of you business artists out there, Terry has been here with us today sharing her amazing perspective with you all. You're definitely going to want to go back, listen again, and take your own notes you can do that by listening to this and all of our past episodes on our website at www.superfine.world. To connect with Terry, you can follow her at Terry Froman on Instagram and also at Handmade in Brooklyn. And you can also visit terryfroman.com or hmbcollective.com. All of that will be in the show notes as well. As always, remember that we are Superfine Art Fair on Instagram. And anytime you're listening to the artist business plan, enjoying it or benefiting from it, we appreciate it if you could share it on Instagram, story, Facebook, Twitter, whatever you do is totally fine. And once again, we always appreciate it if you take just a moment of your time to write us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's our number one streaming platform. We're also on Spotify, we're on other platforms, but Apple's our number one. And when you give us that rating or review, it really helps other artists just like yourselves find us and benefit from our and our guests' perspectives. As always, I would like to wrap up the class by sharing a quick quote with you all. And the quote is short but sweet. A year from now, you'll wish you had started today. That's Karen Lamb. Terry, it has been such a pleasure having you with us today. Thank you for sharing your perspective with our listeners. And for that, we are so grateful to you. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. It was our pleasure. Everybody else, have an awesome rest of your day. And remember to stay on top of your artist business plan, get out there and make it happen. (laughs) 
Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Artist Business Plan, a weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs brought to you by Superfine Art Fair. Hosted by Superfine CEO Alex Mito and co-founder slash professional artist James Milley, join us and leaders in the art, marketing, and business arenas each week for tips, tricks, and value bombs designed to help you thrive and sell more art. For more information on applying to Superfine Art Fair, as well as recordings of this and all of our past podcasts, just visit www.superfine.world. We love to hear what you have to say, so just follow us on Instagram at Superfine Art Fair and shoot us a message to let us know you're listening. Looking for a more personal connection or want to exhibit at an upcoming fair? Just shoot us an email at artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world and we'll get right back to you. That's artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world. Thank you.